Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about the way we walk. Five different times in the book of Ephesians, Paul references the way we walk. And four of those times are positive. He's telling us to walk this way. But there's one time that he says, don't walk this way. And that's in the reading for this evening. And I failed, I'm sorry, that should not be Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. That's, a, that's an error on my part, forgive me. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, but we're beginning the reading with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles in, in Paul's day meant anybody not a Jew. We can read that simply as unbe- unbelievers. Unbelievers. So we must no longer walk as unbelievers or non-Christians do. They walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings and the privilege to be together tonight. We ask that you will open your word to us by your spirit. Give us the understanding that we need. And Lord, would you help us then to walk in the light? Father, we pray that the influence of these words would not be that of human influence or personality, but that it would be the power of your Holy Spirit applying truth to hearts. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In this passage, Paul tells us how not to walk. He says, you must not walk or no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he mentions specifically two features of the Gentiles' lifestyle or an unbeliever's lifestyle. He says that they are calloused and that they walk in the futility of their minds. They are calloused and they walk in the futility of their minds. Now, Paul fleshes that out. These are the two big ideas. But he fleshes that out as we look at the first part, how they walk in the futility of their minds. We see, first of all, that they have a darkened understanding. A darkened understanding. This is one of the after effects of the fall when sin came into the world and human nature was infected by sin. We all are born with an understanding that is incapable without divine assistance. It is incapable of receiving spiritual truth. Not only that, but the God of this world, Paul says, we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So you see, we're born with a, a disadvantage already, having a nature uh, that... Uh, keeps us from perceiving spiritual truth. But beyond that, as we learn and grow and we begin to make our own decisions and many people go into a life of sin, the deeper people go into sin, the more blinded their eyes and their mind becomes to the reality of the existence of God and the, the demands that he has upon their lives. They're darkened in their understanding. He says that they are alienated from the life of God. And he, he lists under this two reasons. Now, if you've ever tried to, to diagram or outline Paul, um, it's difficult to do. Uh, he, it can be done in a number of different ways. But um, I've, this portion I've taken this way. Uh, he says they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, ignorance is bliss, right? Depends. Um, contrary to popular opinion, what you don't know can hurt you. Um, you can get pulled over by a police officer and um, often the first words he will ask you will be, do you know why I pulled you over? And uh, many times you may know why he pulled you over, but there may be other times where you would have to look at him with wide eyes and say, I'm, I have no idea why you pulled me over. Um, Ignorance is not bliss, and it can hurt you. Um, in this case, though, Paul is not referring to someone who just, they just don't know. But he is referring to a willful kind of ignorance, because notice what he goes on to say. 
They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Due to the hardness of their heart. In other words, they have resisted and hardened themselves against the voice of God. They have rejected God and gone their way so often, so many times, that they're totally alienated from the life of God. They're totally ignorant of it. They do not even realize their condition. I can't help but think of some words from Romans chapter 1 when I think of this idea. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 21, Paul says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, you know, one of the common objections that people will make to the idea of everyone standing before the judgment throne and the, the idea that Jesus is the only way Many people will say, well, what about all of the, uh, th those that are in the foreign lands, in the dark, deep, dark jungles that have never heard uh, about God? Friends, God wor God's word tells us also in Romans chapter 1 that anybody can know enough about God from the creation that is around them so that when all of us stand before him on judgment day, we will be without excuse. And we find stories, some of you know the stories from the, from the mission field of those people that lived in heathen lands that knew nothing and had no missionaries to tell them about God or his love or Jesus Christ, but they knew something within them let them know that there was a real God, a one true God, and when they began to pursue that one true God, God led them to where they could find out about Jesus. Not only do the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, but they are calloused. They are calloused. You know what a callous is? I have calluses on my fingertips, on my left hand from playing the guitar. When you start out playing the guitar, uh, it's painful and takes you a while to build up those calluses. But after a while, if you keep working at it and keep practicing, uh, you'll, you get there. And you have those calluses on your hands. I've seen people that were so, they were writing so often that uh, they develop a callus on one of their fingers from where they hold the pencil or pen, whatever it is they write with. means the same thing. It's a, a, a callus, you know, is a hard, rough patch of skin that, that grows up and it develops as a form of protection. You might begin with getting blisters, but if you keep working that same area, the blister, that area where the blister forms will get hardened. And that's what Paul says. They have become callous. What does he mean by that? Well, they've, they, they've given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice impurity. Greedy to practice impurity. Um, in other words, they're eager for sin. They're eager to follow after their own lustful desires. Uh, 
and they've given themselves over to it. They no longer have a, a conscience that disturbs or bothers them when they think about going their own way and rejecting God's way. In fact, many of them are so callous that they're not even aware that they're rejecting God's way. All they know is their own way. Again, I can't help but think of the passage from Romans chapter 1. And uh, that passage continues, verse 24, down through the rest of the chapter. Uh, Paul says in uh, the Ephesians passage that they gave themselves over, or they gave themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice impurity because they were callous. In Romans, Paul says that God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Um, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. <clears throat> um, verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God they gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and so on and so forth. This is the way the Gentiles walk. This is the way that that characterizes the walk of some of us before we came to know Jesus. And you might say, oh, no, pastor, that's not, uh, that's not the way I lived before I knew Jesus. I, I, I've always been a decent, respectable person. Friends, whether or not it demonstrates itself in the outward, uh, uh, the outward way we live, the way we walk, whether people see it or not, as long as we are rejecting God and living for selves, the seeds of all of that are within us. The futility of our minds and calloused. But Paul goes on to say, don't walk this way because this is not the way you learned Christ. Now notice, he doesn't say this is not what you learned about Christ. He says, this is not the way you learned Christ. Um, I can learn about Winston Churchill if I choose to. I can learn about him uh, by looking him up on the Internet. I can go to the library and check out books uh, if I choose to. I can educate myself and learn facts about him, but I cannot learn him. That is, I cannot know Winston Churchill. I have no opportunity or ability to do that. What Paul is talking about here is people who have had the privilege of entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he says, this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus so in other words, there we see that we need to learn Christ in a way that is biblically accurate. Biblically accurate. I suppose that all denominations believe that their understanding and interpretation of Scripture is the right way. Um. I don't know what to tell you to, to I want to say, combat that. I, we, we don't want to be in combat with other brothers and sisters, even if they don't see the Bible the same way we do. Amen? 
thank you. <laughs> One or two, okay. Um, there, are some, there are some core biblical doctrines that all churches agree on. But then when we, we go deeper, we begin to differ on a few things. And one of the main ways that denominations differ is on the how. Um, you know that as far as I know, all uh, denominations, all Bible-believing churches believe that we have to be holy to go to heaven. All of them do. The difference is in how they interpret the Bible as to how that takes place practically in our lives. We are Nazarene, we are Wesleyan Arminian, and as far as I understand, I believe that's the best way. Amen. I believe that's the biblically accurate way. I've, I've, I've done my homework, I've done my research, I know what the primary other doctrines believe, and as far as I can see, this way where we are is the best way. So thank God for the Nazarene Church, and thank God for the, the doctrine of, of second blessing holiness. Amen. Amen. That God can begin, that God can make us holy in this life. Amen. But now this is just a side note. I'm not going to withdraw from fellowship from anyone because they see it differently than I do, that, that perspective. I've had some good, good fellowship with other people of other, of other churches, of other denominations, and I believe they love the Lord. Amen. And I believe they, they do their best to live for Him. And uh, so, yeah, that's probably enough said about that. We need to learn to live like Jesus in a way that's biblically accurate. What that means is putting off the old self, the old life, the former manner of life, Paul says, that is corrupt through deceitful desires. Corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, you can't even trust, we can't even trust our own desires, one of the things we need to learn, one of the things that I'm, that I'm still learning and God is still teaching me in ways not to trust my own desires. A good way to, to learn, a good way to practice that is through fasting. Let me just recommend to you. And there are more ways to fast than just skipping food. So if you're curious about that, talk to me. Anything that's, anything that's got a hold on you uh, that, uh, you know, maybe it's your favorite TV program. I don't know. But if it's your favorite TV program, maybe it might be good for you spiritually to have a fast from that for a period of time. And allow God to nourish your mind and your heart on spiritual things. Amen. Put off the old self because we cannot trust our old self. We cannot trust uh, it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Put on the new self. Um, you notice the emphasis on thinking 
and on the mind. He says here, uh, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Did you notice how much time Paul took when he talked about the way the Gentiles walked? How they uh, are darkened in their understanding. All that relates to the mind uh, in the futility of their minds. Darkened in their understanding. Uh, the ignorance that is in them. And all of this has to do with our way of thinking. In fact, our uh, at the very core of what we often say we need to do when we come to Christ for salvation is the word repent. Repent. And in its, its most basic form, repentance means to think about your thinking or change your way of thinking. You turn and think a different way. So, we have learned Christ, we've learned in a way that's biblically accurate, we hope, and uh, this is contrary to the way the Gentiles walk. Now, Paul, what Paul is doing is giving us a contrast. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk, maybe like you used to walk, but walk this way. Walk like Jesus Christ uh, in a way that's biblically accurate, putting off the old self and putting on the new. Now, Paul can't help but go into giving us some practical application. And so when we get to verse 25 of Ephesians 4, we have a therefore. When you see that therefore, it's a hinge point, and you know that Paul is going to turn from talking about uh, doctrinal beliefs or things that ought to be present in our hearts, in our minds, and he's going to begin showing us how those beliefs ought to work themselves out practically in our day-to-day -day lives. So, practical application. And, and incidentally, we all, we all know this. I know I'm speaking to the choir tonight. But uh, the Bible is not just a book of theories and ideas. It's not just uh, something to be read for your edumacation. Is everybody awake? Okay. Um, the Bible is intended to change our lives. It's intended to change our lives. It's intended to affect and impact the way we live. So what does Paul say? He, he gives five uh, specific areas of sin or five specific areas that uh, they need to be watchful of. The first, he says, is to put away falsehood. Uh, along with each one of these, he gives a reason why. Don't do this because, and here's why. So he says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. Because we are members one of another. The second thing he says is to be angry without sin. Be angry, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger so that you do not give opportunity to the devil. Did you know, and I'm sure you are aware of this, that sinful anger or uncontrolled anger is one of the easiest ways to give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold in your life and in your heart. Now, I, I'm not going to 
address the legitimacy of anger. The Bible seems to suggest that there is a legitimate godly anger against the right things and in the right way and at the right time. The problem is I've learned in too many situations for myself, I'm not going to address you, I'm just going to use myself as a personal example. There are so many times that I cannot trust myself to recognize the right time, right place, and right way to be angry. And a whole lot goes into this, our, our, the, our daily circumstances, what's happening around us, um, all of that. But, and let me just leave with this, a, a, a Bible a commentator, Bingle, not, not Bringle, not Samuel Logan Bringle, but Bingle, B-E-N-G-E-L. He said this, anger is neither commanded nor quite prohibited in the scripture. But this is commanded, not to permit sin to enter into anger. It is like poison, which is sometimes used as medicine, but must be managed with utmost caution. I think those are very appropriate words of warning when we think about anger. I could go on talking about anger, but I will stop. Um, he says, steal no more. Well, of course, pastor, that's obvious. To Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he's not tempted to steal, right? He's doing honest work with his own hands, so he's providing for himself, and he's not tempted to steal. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul raises it to an even higher level than that. He says, so that he may have something to share with those in need. Moving on, fourth, let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth. That word corrupt in, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus uses that word corrupt in his teaching, it uh, refers to rotten fruit. It's just a word that means it's good for nothing. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So sadly, and, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, and I've observed it happen, people saying things that are truthful and maybe in some situations need to be heard. However, it's said at the wrong time and in the wrong way, and rather than building up and encouraging, it's discouraging and tearing people down. May God help us to have a discernment, a discernment to know how to speak in a way that is kind and uplifting. You know, I think there are often times when we may notice, probably many times, we may notice things that aren't right, and we need to just keep our mouths shut. Amen. Just let it go. Let it go. All right, final thing. There, I said there were five points of practical application that Paul gives here. Uh, the final one, I'm, I'm giving its own page, 
he says, basically, work on your attitude. Work on your attitude. I don't suppose our Christianity is seen any more clearly than in our attitudes. And I don't know how many of you are like me. I suspect many of you, uh, like me, grew up in a Christian home and uh, were probably a reasonably well-behaved person. And coming to Jesus for salvation maybe did not make that much of a dramatic outward change in your life. And that's okay. In fact, I believe that's good. I thank God that he kept me from going out into deep sin. Where and now those now I know it's it's thrilling to hear the dramatic testimony of the alcoholic or the drug addict that was saved and delivered out of that. And thank God God is able to save and deliver them. Praise God. But how much better it is for those of us that he's kept from ever going in that direction in the first place, keeping us out of that hole. Those kinds of, those, that kind of living and those, that kind of lifestyle leaves scars and marks that nothing can ever erase or take away, even though they have come to know God, have come to know Jesus Christ. But the last thing Paul says here essentially is work on the attitude. And I suppose this is where our Christianity should be seen clearly, and, and perhaps often it is our attitude that can do the most damage to our testimony. Now, I may be more sensitive to this than others, I'm not sure, but I often found that when I was working in a secular environment, when stress and tension uh, would build, I, there were times when I worked in high-stress environments, and, and words and orders would be sharp and quick and there may be retorts and back and forth and there were numbers of times when uh, I was in working in a secular environment that I would go back to someone a little bit later and say you know I'm sorry for my attitude there I spoke a little bit hastily Paul gives a long list in verse 31 let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I'm not going to take the time to, to go into each one of these in detail, but uh, just suffice it to say, they all reflect a heart attitude that is, that is wanting to attack rather than to be at peace. Warren Wearsby gives an illustration. He said, a handsome elderly man stopped at my office one day and asked if I would perform a wedding for him. Warren Wearsby said that he ought to bring the bride in so that we might chat together and get better acquainted since uh, he hesitates to marry strangers. And so the, the older gentleman that was about to get married uh, said, well, before she comes in, let me explain this wedding to you. He said, both of us have been married before to each other. He said, over 30 years ago, we got into an argument, and I got mad, and we separated. Then we did a stupid thing and got a divorce. I guess we were both too proud to apologize. 
Well, all these years we've lived alone, and now we see how foolish we've been. Our bitterness has robbed us of the joys of life, and now we want to remarry and see if the Lord won't give us a few years of happiness before we die. Wow. Our attitude can scar and wound and damage and break people around us, but it will also wreak havoc in our own lives if we are not watchful over it. Paul gives two simple reasons why we ought to be watchful of our attitude. The first is simply this, that we grieve not the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You that are parents or have had children in your home, you know what it is to see your children arguing with one another and disagreeing with one another to the point that it creates a ruckus and a clamor. And you know how as a loving parent that grieves your heart. And I believe our Heavenly Father is the same way, is grieved to see His children in a ruckus with one another, demonstrating attitudes that are not Christ-like. The second reason He gives is simply because Christ forgave us. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just recently, I listened to a reading of The Hiding Place. I, uh, often I will, rather than physically read a book, I will listen to an audio book. And it's, it gives me something to, to do while I'm, I'm busy doing something else. I can feed my mind and feed my soul. And uh, Corey Tinboom, if you, if you know anything about her, have read anything, she's just such a wonderful, saintly woman of God, and there always seemed to be a marked contrast, a difference between Corey and her sister Betsy. As you read about them, you see how Betsy just had a, a, a sweet, kind attitude towards everyone, and Corey seemed to have a good attitude towards those that she felt like deserved it. A good example of this was that uh, when they were in the concentration camp, after they'd been taken uh, and in put into the concentration camp, Betsy would talk to Corey about how sorry she felt for them. She referred to them. And at first, Corey said she thought that she was referring to the other prisoners and the others. And then eventually, she came to realize that she was talking about their German captives. Corey had to learn from Betsy how to pray for them. Betsy always insisted on praying for their captors. Corey didn't really want to. But she learned from Betsy how to pray for their captors. Most remarkable is after their release and Corey Tinboom began traveling and speaking in numerous places, telling their story. Uh, interestingly enough, she got a lot, very many speaking engagements in Germany. And while in one occasion, I'm sure some of you have heard the story, she was speaking in Germany uh, 
not recognizing her, a, a gentleman came up to her after the service, after she had finished speaking and, and commented, Farline, isn't it wonderful how all of our sins can be forgiven? And he said, even mine. And Corey Tinboom said she looked up to look into the face and the eyes of one of the men who had been a guard where she and her sister had been held captive, one of the ones who had tormented them during their time there. And the man was commenting about how wonderful it was to be forgiven, reaching out his hand for a handshake. And she said she just could not seem to lift her arm, lift her hand to, to shake that man's hand. And then she said this, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered, she said, that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Another place she said this, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Amen. There's nothing better for an attitude, nothing, nothing better to help a bad attitude than to ask the Lord Jesus to give us a spirit of forgiveness. Amen. Walk not as the Gentiles do, but walk as we have learned Christ. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your forgiving love and grace. And thank you for the difference that you can make in our lives. Would you help us to walk not after our former manner of life, but to walk as we have learned how to live in, in a daily, moment-by-moment uh, -moment relationship with you, to put off our old ways and to put on the new man, being renewed in the spirit of our minds. We pray that you will accomplish this through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit and the faithfulness and consistency of our obedience. And we pray that that obedience will be something enabled by you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.